Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times. And in today's episode, Benji and I are taking the addiction cycle and we are unpacking it step by step so that it makes absolute, total, clear sense. And I think this is one of the most integral episodes that we've ever done because if you can understand this cycle and where you fit into it and what your emotional triggers are, what your rituals are, if you can see yourself in this cycle and if you can understand how to reverse engineer your life so that you can always be at the top of the cycle and make the right choice that leads you towards healthy reactions, healthy outcomes, then your life will be fundamentally different. But if not, at least you'll be able to understand the insanity that you're inflicting upon yourself because this addiction cycle is the very vehicle that leads many people to their own demise step by step. So I really want you to pay attention. Listen to it at half speed, at quarter speed, at turtle speed if you can, so that you can ingest as much information as possible because it is vital for life itself, for you to be empathetic with your own self and with anybody else that you know that is dealing with an addiction, which most of us are in some way, shape or form. So please listen to it, take notes and picture yourself in this cycle. Fill in the blanks of each step so that you can start to navigate your life in accordance with your ideals rather than constantly reacting to circumstance like so many of us are. So please enjoy and listen to it very slowly and intentionally. Good luck. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Do you know the first Rocky in the soundtrack? There's a song that's Welcome Back. Do, 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 do. Welcome back. Because there's like a barbershop quartet on the streets of Philly. I don't know if you know. Anyway, we should have that. Probably cost $60,000 to borrow that song. <laughs> anyway, welcome back, everybody. Do, 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 do. Today, Benji and I are going to unpack a talk. What I'm realizing is the podcast can be really useful for explaining a lot of our talks that we give in more depth and more detail, and also to people who haven't heard our talks. Because whenever we go somewhere, especially recently, we just did three weekends in a row where we unpacked so many talks. But when you're live in a session, it's hard to take it all in. And even if you are stimulated by some idea or some conversation, then you got to move on to the next one, the next one, the next one. So we want to unpack a lot of these topics to help them like really resonate and help you to yeah. get it. I went totally overtime on my talk in New Jersey. I think I do a lot because it's so much to pack in. So I totally get it. So it's good we're talking about it more. Here. So if we can get into that, Benji, if this podcast can serve as an intervention for your slide game, because when Benji <laughs> gives a talk, most of us have like 20, 30 slides. He had over 100 slides. It was well into the hundreds. It was disgusting. And I was like, there's absolutely no way that you're going to finish. You have to speak like an auctioneer for the next hour to get through half yep. of these slides. Because yep. you think about it, one slide per minute is a lot. If you ever see Benji being held down by the entire High Noon team at an event, we're having like a live intervention with his slide problem. He's addicted to too many slides. Well, apparently people so, like it. So they do. You pack a mean punch, Benji, you do. If you guys listening have any topics that we covered in our workshops mm -hmm. and you want us to go into more detail, please let us know because we're happy to unpack those as well. But today we're going to focus on the talk that we started giving in the Bay Area, sub-region five? 
which is the cycle of addiction. And yeah. the reason we started talking about it is because it's like pretty well known in the addiction circle. But everybody, if you Google image addiction cycle, there's like a lot of variations and a lot of opinions, but there's an overarching theme. And we just want to get into that theme for the sake of helping you understand what it is that you're going through this cycle, because so much of it is unconscious. But also, if you know somebody, let's just say you have a kid in your life who's addicted to something, that you can be more empathetic to them. And if you yourself have addictions, be more empathetic with yourself and to start understanding the cycle. And you can interrupt this cycle. That's the coolest part. If you really understand the nuance of this cycle, you can interrupt it and create a much more productive cycle. Yeah, 100%. Let's go over all of them together and then we'll unpack them one by one. Okay, so what's the first one, Benji? Do you have it in front of you? The first one at the top of the cycle is emotional trigger. Followed by? Craving. And then we go to ritual. And then using. And then it's feeling of guilt, guilt or shame. And then back to emotional trigger. And that's the cycle. So that's, again, kind of the nuance of these cycles is the one that we're going to show you, it says guilt. But we actually much more prefer the term shame because guilt is actually productive. Shame is destructive. We'll get into that. So let's unpack this puppy. So at the top of the cycle, and it's kind of non-negotiable, is the emotional trigger. So Benji, what's an emotional trigger for you that you deal with? My biggest one has always been getting in arguments with my wife and her being okay. upset and me feeling the feeling of like unworthy as a man or I'm not a good provider for my wife. Feeling of shame, essentially. You know, like I'm not a good man because my wife is upset, which is basically just feeling of shame. That's the feeling that I get that I tend to, I have noticed and gotten much, much better at and noticing the feeling of me wanting to escape that feeling and to run away to something in those moments. That's me. That's really helpful. Yeah. I like that because a lot of times we'll use the word shame and I think everybody can relate to what that means. But what you're saying is a much more personal version of your experience of shame, which is not feeling like a good husband, not feeling like sufficient man, like. I'm not a good dude. That's ultimately yeah. shame. Yeah, and it's grown. It's developed. At first, when I started noticing that tendency in me, it was anger. I thought it was anger. And I would always blame her or somebody saying like, oh, this person made me angry. That's why I'm angry. And that's why I'm feeling this desire to escape. And then if I was really honest with myself, which I eventually became more and more honest about it, realized that it's actually a feeling of inadequacy as a man. And a feeling of shame, like I'm not providing for my wife or something. And for some reason, I believed that that was my primary duty as a human being. And my value is entirely wrapped up in how happy the people around me are, how happy my wife is, how happy my children are. And if they're not happy, I'm somehow failing. I concluded it's okay and it's noble to want to make people happy. But to the extent that it makes me miserable when they're not happy is not a winning game, a game that I want to play anymore. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. I understood that that's my emotional trigger is substantially better because I've noticed it and understood it. But that's been the hardest thing for sure. Yeah, because then your happiness is dependent on their happiness. So that's interesting. For me, I think all dudes who are married have experienced that to some degree, this feeling mm. of I suck. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good husband, whatever. But what happens more for me is frustration and anger mixed like a hybrid, which comes in the form of like, me judging my wife for not doing what I think she needs to do. <laughs> this is like a huge issue that I have in my life where I feel like she's not pulling her weight and I take it personally. Like, 
you're not living up to our standards kind of thing. And whether it's said or not, I just feel it. It's not in my heart mm. where I stop empathizing with her and I just start pointing arrows at her of frustration and judgment of like, why aren't you more like this? And that is a huge emotional trigger that takes me to a really dark place. So it's like, if they come home and I've been at home all day, like if my wife comes home with the kids, I make sure that the house is spotless. Mm. And I realize that's more for me, not for them. It's just because that's how I like the house. But if I come home and the house is a mess, I take it personally and be like, oh, so you guys don't like me, especially like my wife. Like, oh, so you don't respect mm. me enough to like keep up with my standard. Even though it's entirely just me, I take it personally and that closes my heart. It like, if you can think of an emotional trigger, it's something that closes your heart or closes your mind and it takes you to a dark place. A good emotional trigger is like, oh, when somebody hugs you for no reason, like a random act of kindness, it triggers wonderful, hopeful emotions. And it's December 1st today when we're recording this. The month of December is filled with great emotional triggers. I realize like Christmas music for me is a huge emotional mm -hmm. trigger in a good way. Like I feel all these rosy, nice feelings. It's the yeah. most wonder. I just, I love it. I love that. And Christmas trees and lights and all that. They're all emotional triggers, but in a good way. The emotional triggers, when we're talking about addiction, they close your heart and they create a closed mind too. You can't think clearly. You can't feel clearly. It's just like a reaction that you have to a scenario. Yeah, 100%. Do you have one, any one, examples from yeah, guys yeah. that you- One guy yeah. that I was talking with who was in the Spartan program, he graduated and is doing very well, by the way. He's married, blessed. His biggest realization in talking through the program was that he was- putting all of the trigger emphasis on the external triggers, which are like seeing things on Instagram, particularly from him, it was like going out in public, going to the gym. So he would always create these systems around avoiding external triggers because he thought that was the main thing. So he would go early in the morning to the gym, for example, or he would get all the software and the blocking websites and apps on his phone so he wouldn't be triggered by this thing. And then I asked him, okay, so when you go to the gym, do you notice people more than other times? He was like, yeah. And I was like, why? And he was like, I don't know. Well, let's look into it. And so he figured out that it was the days where he was particularly stressed from work and especially like deadlines and stuff that caused him to feel most stressed, which usually caused him to be more susceptible to those triggers that are external triggers. So his biggest realization is that he was focusing on the wrong trigger. He was focusing on the external things and reducing those through band-aid solutions and kind of shoving them on the rug. But the real trigger for him was internal and emotional trigger that we're talking about. So basically, I was like, let's work on the stress and dealing with stress in a productive way because, remind you, stress is not a bad thing. Stress is not evil. Stress is a God-given human condition. If you're feeling stress, you're normal. You're a human being. But he was dealing with stress in a way that associated it with a negative. He was dealing with stress with escapism, with craving, with all the stuff we're talking about. And he realized like stress is not evil or bad or malicious or whatever, but it can be used to possibly be even motivating and productive to some extent. And then so he, he started dealing with it in a productive way. And that's how he like disrupted this cycle that we're talking about is he broke off the emotional trigger, not broke it off, but like he dealt with it in a productive way without going to some kind of craving or escapism. Yeah, it's really important, everybody, to understand that there's a reason why this is at the top of the cycle. The emotional trigger, there's always an emotional reason why you do anything good or bad. So if you really want to make more money at work, there's an emotional reason why. You mm. think that that money is going to give you more freedom, I don't know, more options, 
it's not just the external. There's like an internal emotional reason why you want that thing. Same with when you whip out your phone at night and you start scrolling, there's actually an emotional reason behind that. And if you can understand that emotion and deal with that at the top of the cycle, that's what I'm saying is you can interrupt what happens next. Because I think a lot of people are so blinded to the emotional sponsoring reason for their actions that they never actually get to the root cause of their addiction. So the example that I typically give is I remember this one guy who would always act out on Friday nights and no matter what he did externally to change that, he would always end up watching porn on Friday nights. He couldn't help it until he started to unpack the emotional reason why. And he realized that he was a student. He had a lot of pressure on his plate. He had a lot of assignments on his plate. And Friday night, he would inevitably just want to escape that week-long suppression of all these feelings of like just trying to do all this stuff without taking care of himself. And then on Friday night, he would want to escape his life so much that he'd always end up first on YouTube, then animate to porn, and then porn to acting out fully, masturbation, everything, right? But what he realized was that he was just so overwhelmed. For him, his emotional trigger was accumulation of overwhelm. Like, I just don't know even what I'm feeling right now. There's too much on my plate. I just want to escape it, that feeling. And he realized that a better way for him to deal with overwhelm was to go out with his friends on Friday night and hang out with them because he got a release of his tension by doing fun things. But he also got the serotonin that you don't get from porn which is like the bonding of being in other people's company, touch from hugs and laughing and all the stuff that you get from real people that you don't get from porn. So for him, he realized that overwhelm was still there, but he found a better outlet for that overwhelm and that is connection rather than fantasy. So again, guys, if you trace back all of your bad habits or your addictions to the emotional trigger and you start really unpacking that, that's where the magic is. That's when you can really start healing yourself and making better decisions. After you're triggered, you're emotionally triggered and you don't realize this, not until you start doing the work. Later, you can start being like, I am feeling really angry right now, right? You can say it out loud, but in the beginning, you don't even know what's happening. You just are the thing, it possesses you. And then you start craving. So let's get into craving. Do you have any good examples of craving? I'm trying to think of a term that makes sense to me in my own experience and with guys. And the term that comes to mind, which is kind of a synonym in a way, is escape. It's like craving to do what? It's the craving to watch porn, but I don't think that's the whole story. People mistakenly believe that they have a craving because of many factors that aren't actually the reason that they want to go to that thing. So for example, for yeah. porn, people say like, the reason I use porn, the reason I have a craving to watch porn is because I have a high sex drive. And that's like tip of the iceberg understanding. When people first start to quit porn, they think I just have a high sex drive. And that's why I do this thing. I have ever since I was a teenager. But it's not the entire story because, mind you, many people that are in sexual relationships that have crippling porn addiction. So it's not just a high sex drive thing. And then people say it's because I don't have willpower. Or if I just had more determination and I just pushed myself through it hard enough, then I'd be able to quit. And again, we disproved that before because lots of people have willpower. And if it was just a willpower thing, then the people with the most willpower would just be able to stop. Athletes, in other words. And then people say oh, it's a spiritual thing. And we've all been through that, like on our knees praying, asking for repentance and forgiveness and asking God to us doing scripture, reading Hundoke, whatever. And that helps to an extent. But if you just focus on those reasons, then it doesn't like address why we continue to do things that we know we don't want to do. 
why we continue to do things we hate and that causes pain. And I think the, the most profound explanation that I've heard and also given to people I've found helpful is that the reason we use porn or any escapism is because it's simply an escape. And that's the only reason. Like, that's the biggest reason. Once you get past all the factors that contribute to an addiction, the real reason is because it's an easy escape. So when I think of craving, I think of the feeling of like, oh, I just don't want to be in this state of emotional internal turmoil. I don't want to be in this internal state. I don't want to experience this stress, this anxiety, this depression, this loneliness, this boredom, because it's painful and it sucks. And yeah. so I don't want to be here. I like thinking of it like that because then we can try to kind of bucket different behaviors in similar ways. So noticing earlier on, like, I feel stressed and I just want to run away to my room and watch YouTube, that example that you're saying, right? That's noticing, that's self-awareness. And that's beating porn at the core because it starts with what do we run away to? The simple things. And it ends with the greatest forms of escapism. There's like porn, drugs, alcohol, yeah. anger, whatever we can think of. But it starts with what do we do when I just want to escape? Like the simplest thing. You know, in terms of like real life examples, it's you're looking for something, but you don't know what. And the same thing goes for your thumb. It's like, why did you take your phone out? What are you looking for? When you started looking for that app, what are you actually looking for? When you're looking through your cupboards late at night, I have a family member, direct family <laughs> member, who does this all the time. It's like nighttime snacking. It's like, well, what are you looking for? You don't need food at 11 o'clock at night. Nobody wants food right before sleep. It's not a good habit to get into. But what are you actually looking for? And so these first two steps are really cool when you start developing self-awareness because one good trick in terms of like phone addiction and social media porn and this kind of stuff is to reorient your apps, to just jumble them up all over the place. Because what happens is you can catch yourself being like, wait, what am I looking for right now? Because a lot of times the craving step two is still unconscious. You're already looking for something without even knowing that you're looking for it. And you definitely don't know why you're looking for it, but you just start searching. You start looking with your thumb or you start looking through your cupboards and what it is that you're looking for isn't clear. But if you're unconscious, you just start finding the first thing that's acceptable. So, okay, social media is good enough. I'll just settle for that. But again, you're not thinking about it. Your thumb lands on Instagram or it ends up on YouTube and you don't know what you're looking for or why you're there. You're just doing it. So to kind of interrupt those patterns, mixing up all your apps or changing all your fridge around, what that provides you with is a few seconds of sobriety where you start looking and then you're confused, you're disoriented because things aren't where they're supposed to be. And then you're like, but wait, what am I looking for? And chances are you won't be able to answer that with any clarity because you don't know what you're looking for. You're actually looking for what you're talking about is an escape, but you won't be able to say, oh yeah, I need to go on Instagram because I need to see this one particular post. That's yeah. not true at all. It's like you're looking for oxygen and you're trying to find the nearest outlet to breathe, right? And that's what you think you're going to do. If you interrupt that pattern, and then you say, well, what am I looking for? Then you stop and be like, oh, what am I feeling right now? And if you get to that level of self-awareness, that's where you start to become really empowered because yeah. now you're going to the source of like, well, I'm feeling really anxious and now I'm looking through my cupboard for junk food. And then you can start to see this correlation and you can start to interrupt that pattern. That's super powerful. But we all have these things. It's just we don't look at them with any great intention. 
Yeah, I was just going to say it's valuable also because it interrupts the ritual and the cycle, but also it extends your window of opportunity to make a decision. And yeah, the yeah. way that I've done this with apps and websites, this cool app called Blocksite, this is exactly why I downloaded it and also got the paid version. Because if I go to Instagram.com on my website, here's what pops up for people watching. It's a grandma that says, no way, Jose. So even <laughs> if I go to a website or app, consciously or subconsciously, it won't let me. And then I have a second to think about it. And this has been really valuable for one guy in particular, this like decision-making window thing, because, you know, we started talking and his biggest thing was like, I don't have any time to make decisions because this cycle we're talking about is so quick. It's like within 30 minutes, he's like feeling great. And then the next second he's emotionally triggered and then he's watching porn in a second. And I was like, well, it sounds like your decision-making window of opportunity is so, so short that you can't even think. So let's expand that window a little bit so that you can have some decision-making power under your belt to actually interrupt the cycle. And so he did that by doing this exact kind of stuff, like being more deliberate with his social media use to the point where it wasn't just spiraling out of control before he even knew it. So he could take a step back and have the emotional introspection to just be like, wow, I just wanted to run away to Instagram for no reason. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. It's really cool because you start to learn about yourself. We spend all day, every day inside of ourselves, inside of our body, with our own thoughts. But we don't really spend much time understanding ourselves or getting to know ourselves in any great detail. So this is such a cool opportunity, not only to disrupt the destructive cycles that we have, but get to know, like, I didn't understand that about myself. And you can learn how to change certain habits, but you can also learn how to love yourself more because you're like, oh, that's so cute. You think that chocolate's going to make you happy again. Like every time you get into a fight with your kids or whatever the thing is, and you can sympathize with yourself more. You can empathize with yourself. So it's a really healthy, productive process that if you spend time learning this cycle, seeing yourself in the cycle, not only can you regain control of your life, but you can start to love yourself on a much deeper level because you can give yourself what you need because you'll understand your own needs much clearer. So let's get into rituals, Benji. I like to talk about both positive rituals and negative rituals. So for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, they get a feeling and then they bring their phone into the bathroom. Bringing your phone with you into the bathroom, that in and of itself is a ritual. Bringing your phone into bed at night, that's a ritual that can easily be changed. And if you do that consciously, meaning you have a time that your phone turns off and a place where your phone goes and a place where your phone doesn't go, like in your bed, these are all parts of the ritual of you using your phone. Because you'll notice you have rituals with your phone. When is the first time that you touch your phone every day? For a lot of people, it's like they wake up and the first thing they do is they reach out for their phone and then they start scrolling, like very first thing. And that's their ritual. That's their morning ritual is they start their day by plugging into social media, which is the worst thing that you could possibly do, by the way. But for them, that's their ritual. So like, what is your ritual for your phone? Where does it stay? You probably have a pocket where it stays. A lot of people use their back pocket, like guys with tighter pants have to use their back pocket a lot. And it becomes like a gun in their gun holster and they whip it out every time they need to shoot down boredom. So, you know, that's like a destructive habit, good or ritual, but good rituals like having a prayer room, I think is so beautiful. We don't have it in our place right now because we have a really small place presently, but I love having a room dedicated to feeling special and holy where this place is reserved. It has very bright colors. It's very well lit naturally. 
And when you walk into it, you have a certain way that you act. You don't bring in your shoes. You don't bring in food. And the way that you walk, the way that you sit, the way that you think, it all becomes ritualistic to get you into a higher state of mind, to get you out of the day-to-day reactive self that you have. This is a part of ritualizing your faith. A lot of people fear rituals because it seems dogmatic. But we have rituals, whether we like it or not, and they're either bringing us into a state of a heightened state of awareness and consciousness or into an unconscious state of reactiveness. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're going to really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player, or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Back to the show. So in terms of your addiction, a yearning to escape, like you're saying, and then your ritual is like having your phone in a certain place that you know, having your app in a certain place, going to a certain website first, you have an order, and it's usually like Instagram or TikTok, or something like YouTube, videos, and that is your gateway that you go into before you get into the real thing. The waiting room before you start using your addiction. For people who do drugs, They have this certain type of ritual that before they smoke weed, they sit on their specific couch and they take out their specific contraption, bong or papers or whatever. And then they start getting into this excited feeling because they're preparing to escape because they're associating what they're about to do with freedom. But first they're getting comfortable because they're like, now I'm going to go to my happy place. Probably, you know, you're getting all your accoutrements ready. You're making sure that the door is locked. You're dimming the lights, getting the environment set for you to do the inevitable. Yeah. I think an early on ritual offset is like just wanting to be alone. I think that's a very early one. The feeling of just like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with people right now. That's a really important self-awareness piece to have. It's like, I just want to be alone. I want to go to my room. I don't necessarily want to watch porn or do social media. I don't have an idea. I just want to be alone. I think for me, that was one of the biggest rituals for me with my porn habit is like, I just want to be alone right now. And I didn't plan on it to be like, a porn session or whatever, but I knew that it was going to lead something to some kind of escapism. So I think that's a helpful, like leading indicator of yeah. where you're going. I think to put environment in that circle, that ritual circle is environment. You're creating the environment of familiarity, of safety, so that you can escape, so that you feel safe to do the thing that you probably shouldn't do, so that you won't get caught or so that you're in the right place to do that thing. I know another guy and his ritual is, it's not every day, but every time his parents say, because he lives with his parents still, oh, we're not going to be home tonight because we have this function. He's already ritualizing. Like even early in the day, he knows as soon as he gets home, where he's going to go, where he's going to end up. He's going to whip out his computer. Like it's a series of rituals that are allowing him to create the environment for escapism to feel its maximum effects. And so after ritual is using. <laughs> Just doing, doing the deed, right? Doing yeah. the thing that you know that you shouldn't do, but you continue to do anyways. Well, there you go. And like, you know, for coffee drinkers in the house, I've interrupted this. I identified coffee as being something, I've kicked it out of my life before. 
I enjoy it. So I don't want it to be fully gone, but I also don't want it to rule over me. So I broke this cycle of addiction by not having it in my house. Because what you realize is coffee drinkers have a certain way of preparing coffee. If you're kind of passive, then you just have like a coffee maker or a Keurig Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Just press a button. But for the connoisseurs, they have these fancy machines. The French press is like early stage, but some people have these things that look like scientific instruments. And all of that is them preparing their body to receive this hit of dopamine that they're going to get from the caffeine. The caffeine is going to make them feel a certain way. And this is all them preparing for the excitement of receiving this drug. And I was reading a book about the origins of caffeine. And most early religions had, at some point, a ritual involving caffeine with spirituality. It's so entwined that like, when I have caffeine, I feel better. So that entire religions use that as a vessel. I'm not saying it one way or another, but I would say a lot of people in the world are addicted to caffeine and part of how they drink, the coffee cup that they have, the way that they prepare it is all a part of the ritual. And it's all in preparation for that first sip, that second sip, okay? So for using, that is your outlet. And all of this stuff leading up to it is the hunting of this feeling that you associate with freedom. So if it's porn, if it's drugs, if it's chemically induced foods, whatever the case may be. Some people, if they're preparing to eat certain foods, like junk foods, their mouth is already salivating. They're already developing saliva because their body's preparing for it, which is why you can also be sexually aroused before you even watch porn because it's in preparation. Your body's already prepared through the rituals, through the cravings for this ultimate release. So the using is the actual release where your body is releasing chemicals because you've associated an act with a feeling, right? Yeah. So in this cycle so far, where do people successfully jump off? Where can they just jump off? Because using is like, by that time, they've done the deed. So how can they break the cycle at this point? Yeah, it's in the first two stages. Sancha had a really good analogy of a train where it's like the train has already created so much momentum after you've gone through the craving that by the time you're in ritual, you're not stopping that train. You're hitting. You're going to do it. It's like you've breached that gap of no return. So I would say somewhere in the first two, that's why it's cool because when you start looking at what is my thumb looking for right now or what am I looking for in my cupboards or whatever the thing is, you can still intercept the addiction before you hit ritual. And so after people act out, we end up with shame. Do you remember the difference between shame and guilt? Do you want to explain that? Sure. Guilt is the feeling of I made a mistake and knowing that and guilt can be a positive driving force for us to do better and to change and to grow. Shame is not I made a mistake, but I am wrong. I am a mistake. The subsequent feelings of I'm not worthy and I might as well just go back to square one, back to emotional trigger. That's why, yeah, you'll inevitably feel both, but shame lingers. And then it torches you and you're in this bad place. So especially with things like an addiction, you get the chemical reward of like all these great feelings in your body without having earned it. And you can trick the body into doing that by drugs, by porn, by all these things. And so you've tricked the body, you've tricked the brain, you can even trick emotionally your heart, but your spirit 
It was never tricked. It knew exactly what you needed and it didn't get what it needed, which is connection, which is meaning, which is value, purpose, eternally important things. And when the mirage of your addiction fades away, after you've acted out, after you've used whatever it is that you're using, you're left with this feeling of emptiness because it wasn't connected to anything. Especially with porn and masturbation, you've released, but it wasn't given back. There's no reciprocation by somebody lying together with you saying, I love you. Somebody touching with you, creating these bonding chemicals. It's just you left alone by yourself with your computer or your phone nearby. And you realize how vacuous and empty the entire experience was. And you feel ashamed of yourself. And so that doesn't go away very easily. And a lot of time that lingering shame leads you right back to the top of the cycle, which is an emotional trigger. Because what ends up happening is when they study addiction, what ends up happening is that you become hyper-focused on that addiction being the only thing that can bring you joy and everything else annoys you. Let's say you're a husband, then your wife starts to annoy you. It's supposed to be that Your wife gives you pleasure and porn annoys you. But when you bond with porn through giving your time attention, especially when you introduce masturbation to it, you bond to porn and then everything else, your kids annoy you, your wife annoys you, which is why people become so irritable because the things that can give them pleasure become less and less and less until it's basically one thing that can give you pleasure. And so this people become ashamed of that too, because they're like, why am I so angry at my family? Why am I so angry at work all the time? It's because you're so empty on a soul level because you're only feeding your body. I could talk about shame all day long. As someone who has experienced a lot of shame (laughs) and received a lot of grace, I feel like I have seen the other side of breaking the addiction cycle here at this late stage in life. I've had multiple occasions where I've talked with guys. And before I talk with men, I try to make a prayer to God and say, Holy Father, I pray that all the grace and love I received, I can just pass on to this person. It's helped me a lot have perspective on people's situations, but also it's incredibly healing for men that I talk to because they sometimes do hesitate to share with me, honestly, like they had a slip up or relapse, right? And then I'll kind of ask them like, why didn't you tell me? (laughs) You know, the Spartan problem is like, if you make a slip up, then I want you to report honestly to me. And I ask them like, without judgment, I say, why didn't you tell me? And they said, because I was afraid you'd be upset. You'd be disappointed in me. I just look at them and say, you know, I have nothing but compassion and love and The only reason I do this is because I'm trying to give the same grace and love that I've received from God and from my wife to you and to other men. One time I asked a guy when he made a mistake, I was like, so what did you learn from this experience? You know, I was feeling a lot of shame and guilt and all this stuff. I told him like, of all the stuff you said you've learned, I think the most important thing you can learn when you make a mistake is that you're still worthy of love and grace. That's the most important lesson. That's how we break the cycle. Honestly, there's no better lesson for us to learn in life apart from When we make mistakes, we're still worthy of love. I said that to this one guy and he started crying. I hope you know you're still worthy of love. And he said he's crying because he never heard someone say that in his whole life. Because every time he'd make mistakes, he was chastised and ridiculed, even angered with by his own parents, especially regarding porn, especially in our faith. Like sexual sin runs deep in our movement. And he said, no one's ever said that. And I was like, well, because it's true. And the reason you feel shame and the reason that people spiral out of control, the reason people spiral back to their emotional trigger and then go continue on with the cycle over and over for years and decades is because the shame itself causes people to spiral because there's no greater way to escape this feeling of, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm a piece of garbage, than what? More of the same stuff that got you there. And it just spirals from there. (laughs) So I was like, 
So yeah. talking to this guy, I was like, you feel so much shame that it's causing you to spiral out of control. And this happens so frequently, by the way. It's like, oh, I messed up. I might as well just binge watch the rest of the year <laughs> until January 1st or whatever, beginning of the month. And I was like, if you remove the shame that you're feeling through what? Through talking openly about not just porn, just about how you're doing, just being seen by people. If you talk openly about how you're doing and be seen for the flaws that you have, you know, we all have them. You won't feel the shame anymore. You won't spiral out of control. So let's fix that first and see how you feel. For a lot of men, that's like the single thing that they need to stop this cycle is all this stuff. But if you like remove the shame from the equation, it's like your chances of success skyrocket. Because every time we feel shame and guilt and think I'm a loser, I'm still addicted, quote unquote, I'm still here. Every time we feel that, we let ourselves slide to the bottom of the mountain, where in reality, we just need to stand back up and keep climbing. But we're choosing to yeah. slide to the bottom of the mountain because we're choosing to not learn from our slippers. We're choosing to not learn from our mistakes. And it's unreasonable to assume that we won't make mistakes in life. It's unreasonable for a teenager, 16, 17-year-old, people in their 20s to not make mistakes. It's unreasonable to think that someone that just got blessed is not going to screw up in the relationship and say things that they don't mean to say and be angry and to be unloving at times. It's unreasonable because we're learning. To the same extent, it's unreasonable to yeah, assume yeah. that when you play a sport or an instrument, you're not going to make mistakes. It's like that's learning. That's growing. But for some reason, we're obsessed with perfection and not screwing up. Because why? We're obsessed with the idea of not disappointing people. We're obsessed with fear. And I think it causes people so much turmoil and torment in their life. I'm just sharing this because it's like really raw. And I was just talking with a guy today and I prayed to God. I said, God, I know I'm not perfect, but I pray that I could just give the same grace that I've received to this person. And I think that's it. Like that's what recovery happens. And when we have the practice of daily filling ourselves up, with love, with grace, with connection, then that's the name of the game. And I told this guy that I was talking to, the reason you have this addiction to porn is because you are so isolated and you have no one to talk to. And until you fix that, you're always going to be addicted to something. And you really got it. I told him, my challenge to you is to find some way to connect with the human being every single day. And he was like, oh, that's going to be hard. Well, you got to do it. So I challenged him to like stretch his imagination to think of it because my life depended on it. If I had to connect with a human being every day on a deep level, not on a surface level, on a deep level, how would I do that? How would that look like? No, it's really important because the cycle starts with the emotional triggers. When you don't deal with your emotions, they start to wreak havoc and they start to become more powerful and they start to control you much more. So to do things like that, have somebody to talk to, to understand what are you actually looking for and to do the right things with your time, like in that guy's case, learning how to connect with people daily then actually your emotional spikes aren't nearly as fatal because they're weakened, because you're actually more fulfilled. But when you're really starving and you're not taking care of yourself, the negative emotions so easily take over you. So I think it's a great practice. This has been a longer episode. I really hope that you guys can all understand the value of spending time learning about where you fit into this cycle so that you can customize your journey and choose what to do with these emotions and find more constructive outlets and to create healthy rituals for yourself so that you can actually enjoy life and like yeah. get the most out of life instead of destroying yourself day by day. So yeah, if you guys have any questions at all about this or about anything, reach out to us. We're always happy. We're getting more and more feedback because we're asking for it. So don't mm -hmm. be shy. We love talking to you. Reach out to us on Instagram. Our emails are on the website, admin at highnoon.org. Find a way to reach out and we will be happy to have a conversation with you and maybe even have you on the podcast if you want. 
Lots of love to you guys. Thank you all Lots so much for listening and your support. Hey, before you go, I wanted you to consider checking out High Noon Connect. So if you go to our website, highnoon.org, you'll notice, first of all, we have a brand new website, which is beautiful. And also, you'll notice that there's the opportunity to join High Noon Connect. The essence of what High Noon is morphing into is a community. We are better together, and sexual integrity involves other people, okay? If you're struggling with pornography, you need the help of brothers and sisters, of people in a community dedicated to helping lift you up. And even if you're not, if you're in a relationship and you just want more intimacy, more love, more joy, or if you're single and you just want to be a person that can live according to their values in the area of sexuality and you want to be around a group of people who are fighting in the same way, then please go to highnoon.org and sign up for High Noon Connect. There's a free version and a paid version. We want to make this as accessible as possible. And we're a nonprofit, so we're not trying to make a buck here. We're just trying to create a community off of Facebook that gives a focused conversation, focused energy, focused attention on building sexual integrity as a cultural intention. So go to highnoon.org. We'll see you there.